Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, there's some lively people out in the congregation this morning. Uh, we are continuing on in our series of Matthew and now starting in the Sermon on the Mount. We're finally here, chapter 5. The interesting thing with Matthew is his structure is a bit unique in this. And so um, he continues to go back and forth with narrative and discourse. And we just got through a narrative portion. And of course, in the narrative portion, as Matthew is telling the story of Jesus, uh, how he was born and, and different events that took place during that time. And then with John the Baptist, then the temptations, he's continuing through this narrative. There's, there's also some, uh, some dialogue that's taking place in those narratives, but it's, it's short dialogue. But when we come to chapter five, now we're going to see this long discourse. It's actually the longest discourse in the book of Matthew. In fact, it might be the longest discourse in the entire New Testament when it comes to, or the Gospels, I should say. And uh, it's three chapters long. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Jesus teaching to his disciples and also to the crowds. They're all mixed in together. And so we're going to be unpacking this for several weeks. It's going to take us a while to get through all three of these chapters because Jesus gets into some details. He gets into some serious issues. And so we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to do like an overview of this sermon, and then we're going to take some time, drop back, and get into some specific issues. Because the issues that he talks about 2,000 years ago, we still have today. Uh, they may look a little bit different today, how, how it plays out, but we're still dealing with these same issues. And so we're going to take some time and, and deal with some of these specific issues that Jesus brings up. So we're going to do that for the next several weeks, but let me give you a little bit of context before we get into this passage of what we've covered so far. Uh, specifically, the last two weeks, we've looked at the beginning of Jesus's ministry and we saw a distinction in chapter 4. When he begins this ministry, first he preaches a gospel, this message of good news, and his good news is this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in other words, the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's coming. Wait for it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, in New Buffalo, when, um, you know, when you're in town and all of a sudden the lights at the, the tracks start lighting up, what is it telling us? Oh, the train is coming, right? Get ready for it. Plug your ears. You know, be careful. The gates come down, and you can hear. And that's kind of the message that Jesus is giving here. It's the kingdom of heaven is coming. Prepare for it. How do we prepare for it? It says to repent. That word repentant means change your ways or change the direction that you're going. So we're going this way 
And he's saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is coming. You might want to change directions. Change the path that you're on because the kingdom is coming. And it means something. So that is his gospel message that he's giving. And so in chapter four, he's giving that message. And after he gives that message, he's walking along the side of the Jordan and he sees these men and he calls them to follow him and they drop everything and they begin to follow him. And then all of a sudden, Matthew brings up that he's doing ministry again. He's preaching again. He's teaching. And this time it's in the synagogues. He's going around. And then Matthew includes something else that Jesus isn't identified as doing yet. And that is healing. He's going around teaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, but now he's healing. And he's healing in such a way that his fame spreads. He went viral, right? We, that's, that's today's language, right? He, he started doing things and, and all of a sudden people started, their ears perk up, their eyes get big and they're like, wait, what? What's going on? Who's this guy? What is he doing? He's healing people? I, I have loved ones. I have people that I care about. I have friends that are in pain, that are suffering. Let's go. And so all of a sudden, all the, throughout the region, it says that people started gathering up the sick and they start drawing towards Jesus. And so here's an interesting thing. The disciples follow Jesus. But it also says that the crowds follow him. I think it's very interesting that Matthew makes a distinction between the disciples and the crowds. And so these past weeks, and I think it was Jeff that preached here last week, and I think he asked uh, this question. I don't know how he asked it, but it was similar to what I was asking um, because I preached up at Sawyer. But it was the question of why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow him? Is it because of the word of God that he preaches? Is it because he has the words of eternal life? You know, later, that's what Peter says in the book of John. At one point, Jesus, the crowds actually leave. They actually, the crowds abandon Jesus. And he goes to his disciples, the 12, and he goes, hey, you want to go too? He actually has the audacity to say that to the disciples. I would be like, can you please stay? <laughs> no, no, no. You want to go too? And the disciples say, where would we go? You have the words to eternal life. So the question is, why do you follow Jesus? Is it because he can do things for you to make your life on this earth a little more comfortable? Are you promised blessings of prosperity here on earth? Or do you follow him because he has the words of eternal life? That's the distinction, I think, between the disciples and the crowds. And so I think that's really important for us to understand as Jesus comes into this message, because now what we're going to see is these crowds and the disciples are following him and now he's going to have this opportunity to teach them. And that brings us to our message this morning. So let's read this passage together. I would ask for you to stand with me uh, in honor of the word. 
It's going to be displayed up on the screen. I'll read it out loud. I'm just asking that you follow along as I read it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there is a lot here in this passage that you're revealing to us, Lord. I pray that the Spirit would dwell within us, that it would speak to our hearts and our minds, that we would hear from you, that we too may be lights. Help us to see what that looks like as we go through this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so we see that the first two verses is kind of setting up the stage of what's taking place. Remember, the crowds are with him. The disciples are with him. Matthew's making a distinction again. I'm not going to go into all the, the um, I think, the reasons why. I, I think what we'll need to do, though, is just remember that he does make that distinction. We will see it later throughout the Gospel of Matthew, him making these distinctions. But it's just Jesus or uh, Matthew's setting up the stage for us of what's taking place. The crowds are there. The disciples are there. Jesus is taking this opportunity to teach. So remember that he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and that it's coming, and the call for everyone is to prepare for it. So Jesus begins this long discourse by describing the kind of people who will enter the kingdom and experience kingdoms, this, this kingdom blessing that's that's taken on. So picture it in this way, that there's this idea, he's, he's setting this, this perspective up of two kingdoms. 
the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And now he's going to talk about these blessings that come as, as those who are walking this path or citizens of this kingdom. What are the attributes or the character traits of these citizens? And so this is the first, the first uh, point here. Number one, it's the kingdom traits and their blessings. This is verses three through nine. So what does a citizen of the heavenly kingdom look like? That's kind of the question that Jesus is answering as he's going through these character traits. So we're not going to go through the verses again, but I, I made them into lists. So here's the list of these character traits. Number one, to be poor in spirit. To be those who mourn. To be meek. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be merciful. To be pure in heart. To be peacemakers. These are the qualities or the character traits that Jesus is describing. So what are these? So let's, let's unpack these. Um, there's a lot to cover, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these quickly. We could probably spend just a sermon on each of these and what they mean, but, but we're going to go through this a little bit quicker. But let's start with poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is an understanding that we are spiritually bankrupt and that we are in need of a savior. So poor, if you are poor, we, we usually think of this when it comes to uh, finances, right? It means we don't have it. <laughs> and that's what he's talking about here in poor in spirit. There's something that we're missing. There's something that we're lacking. We are spiritually bankrupt, and we need someone to get us out of this eternal debt. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 describes it this, this way, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's something that we're missing. We fall short of it. It's the glory of God. There is a disconnect. There is a problem, a relational problem between us and God. There is a debt that we owe, and we're in trouble. So that's what this, uh, this understanding that we are poor in spirit, that there is a need that we have spiritually. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. The next one is to mourn, those who mourn. And this is a mourning over it, sin and the results of sin. So when we think of mourning, oftentimes we think of mourning because of uh, losing, uh, losing someone, someone passing away. So we go through this process of mourning, but it's, it's the interesting thing here is it's, it's that and it's more than that. What this mourning that Jesus is describing here actually does, um, it, it applies to losing someone, death. So it's this mourning over sin and the results of sin it's a sorrow over the results of sin, which is injustice and suffering and death. All right? From the very beginning in Genesis, when, when uh, Adam and Eve rebel against God, the warning is, is if, if you do this, if you rebel against God, the result is going to be death. You will surely die. 
And we see that throughout the scriptures, that that is the result of sin. And so when we mourn the loss of a loved one, there's an aspect where, where we're understanding why that has taken place. Because sin has entered the world. So there is a sorrow over sin. Uh, a picture of this. Um, and, and here's the thing. It's not just sin in the world that we see, but it's my sin and your sin. There's a wonderful picture of this, and hopefully I'll, I'm going to try to weave this, uh, this story into uh, this passage here because I think it applies so well. Um, it's my, my next favorite book next to the Bible, and it's Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory of the Christian walk, and, it, and I love how it paints the picture of what this Christian walk looks like. It's this man named Christian who's walking this path. In fact, what he is doing is following the king. The king's way ahead. We don't see the king there, but it's the path that the king walked. He is following this path to reach his kingdom. And it's a lovely story of how this takes place, but it all begins with him at home and, and he's reading a book. And as he's reading this book, he's feeling this burden on his back. And as he's reading the book, it's getting heavier and heavier. You know what that book is? It's the book of the law. As he's reading the law of what is required of him, this burden on his back, he's seeing, I don't measure up, and that burden is getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And that's what it's talking about there. And, and he's weeping over this and he's struggling over it. And it's kind of funny because it portrays him as going to his wife and, and, and kind of uh, complaining. <laughs> Husbands, we do that. Uh, so I did this with my wife. Um, I did a workout earlier in the morning or earlier this week. I did this hard ab workout and, and it wasn't 24 hours later. It was 48 hours later it felt like somebody just shredded my stomach or just punched me in the gut and, and continuously, like I was in so much pain that anytime I stood up, I would go, oh, and try to, and, and my wife was like, oh, are you serious? Like, come on, seriously, seriously, come on. But it, but it was that kind of thing where Christian was like, oh, this burden is so heavy. And he's kind of complaining to his wife and his wife's like, come on, just get over it, Okay but he was just sorrow and burdened because of sin. That's this picture of mourning. It's a sorrow for sin. The next one is meek, and that is rightly understanding our own sin and brokenness in the world of sin and brokenness, that we are not any better off. Basically, the point is we do not have moral superiority right? So as Christians, and, and, and actually a lot of times the world has this perspective of what Christianity is like, and they're often say, it's like, I don't want to be a part of that because I don't want to come off as being morally superior. And that's what it could come off as. But, but the quality, the character quality that Jesus is describing here is the opposite of that. Not moral superiority, but that we are weak too, that we fall short as well, that we are sinners as well in acknowledging it. In fact, that's exactly what Christianity is about, is that we are in need, right? It's, it's, it actually ties in with being spiritually poor and understanding that. And out of understanding that we are spiritually poor, meekness 
should be coming out of us, of how we respond. So when people criticize us, it's not in a defensive way, but it's possibly in the way of, yeah, and it's, and it's even worse. Uh, Jesus describes this in, in, a, in an interesting way. Hey, um, Evie, I'm not, don't, don't put this up. I'm just going to describe this just for time's sake. Um, Jesus talks about this later in Matthew where he gives this uh, illustration of um, do, not, uh, do not judge one another. Um, and he says, listen, why would you worry about the speck and try to get out the speck in, your, in the other person's eye? Maybe first you should start to worry about the log that is in yours. It's not, hey, why are you worried about the speck in their eye when you have a speck in yours? No, no, no. It's the speck in another person's eye, but there's a log in yours. That's the kind of mentality. That's the type of uh, character that we are to have, this understanding that we are the greatest of sinners. So it's not just looking out and being, "Ah, those people, those people, but it's this understanding, that's me too. In fact, I, I know the worst of it. That's, the kind, that's, that's what he's talking about here when, when he's talking about meekness. It, meekness, in essence, what meekness does is it slays the hypocrite residing in us all. See, we all have this little hypocrite within us, right? This idea that we are far better. Look at me. Well, you know, compare ourselves to others and be like, oh, I feel so much better about myself. And so meekness slays the hypocrite residing in us all. So the next one is hunger and thirst for righteousness. So in this world, especially when human beings are involved, justice will be imperfect. It'll be distorted. It will be disappointing. When we look at righteous, uh, justice in this world, it's going to fall short because human beings are involved. Um, so, uh, is this confession time? I love, I love like true crime podcasts. I don't know if anybody else ever get into those, but I listen to these true crime podcasts. I love the mystery behind it, but I also am very interested in, in the human nature behind this and, and understanding human beings on, on so many different levels. You, you, you see things come out and you see trends uh, but there's um, these people that are wrongfully convicted. It was very interesting. So there's, there's one that actually just came out. Uh, his name is Adnan Syed. If you ever in, into true crime, you probably heard of that name before, who um, was arrested in 1999, falsely convicted of this crime. Um, and, and these people have been behind him for all these years. He's been in prison for all these years, and they're trying to get him free. And finally, the prosecutor um, of whoever, I, I, can't, I don't know all the details, but, but finally suggested to the, the judge, like, hey, we, we need to um, overturn this conviction and retry. Because there's, there's some, there were some major problems in the original conviction, and, and there's a lot more evidence out and stuff like that. And so to, to imagine that, that somebody that is innocent, that's been in prison for 20-something years, we, so it, what's interesting is some people think that's justice. 
others see that as a huge injustice. And if he's really innocent, think of how he sees it. This, is, this wasn't justice. This was a great injustice. And it's because of our failings as human beings, right? That we make mistakes. And listen, it's not perfect here, but here's, here's the amazing thing about it. it, what's, it what's important to remember is our strong desire for justice and her, our pursuit for justice now is an indication of the perfect and complete justice that will come when Christ returns, right? So we do want justice. We care about justice and we should continue to attempt to move towards justice even though we won't do it perfectly. That's good. We will make mistakes. But let's not forget that it indicates that there will be perfect justice in the end. And it's when Jesus returns. Okay, so that's this uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number, uh, here's the next one, merciful. This beatitude is tied with meekness and poor in spirit. And it's the acknowledgement that we are sinners who deserve God's wrath. We are in trouble. We are in debt. And the ramifications is the wrath of God. That's not fun, is it? That's bad news. And I think for us, we think for ourselves, you know what? God, would, would you give us mercy? Would you, would you be merciful to me? And here's the wonderful thing. God is merciful. He is loving and kind and merciful and patient slow in anger, abounding in love. And so we can look at that and be like, Lord, would you be merciful to me? But if we're going to seek mercy, we need to also practice mercy. So there's various ways that Jesus teaches this throughout the book of Matthew. I'm going to skip this one too, Evie. Uh, this comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 32 through 36. You can write this down, look at it later. But it's a parable of the unforgiving debtor where he, uh, this king who desires to settle his debts and this debtor comes and he is way in over his head. I mean, he's, he's, he owes a ton. And he comes before the king and he says, listen, I really want to pay you back. I'm going to try to pay you back. And the king has mercy on him. He says, you know what? I'm going to forgive your debt. And he's like, oh, thank you. Appreciate it. And he turns around, he walks down the street, and he sees someone that owes him five bucks. And he grabs him, and he throws him up against the wall, kicked to the gut. That's, I, I'm kidding. I don't think he kicked him to the gut, but I'm still feeling a pain in my gut. So I'm just, no. But, but he's, he's shaking him. He says, you owe me five bucks. And, and I don't have it, but I'll pay you back. Nonsense. And he throws him in jail. And he's in prison just for over five bucks. And the king finds out about this. He's like, wait a minute, I forgave you all this money. It's like, I mean, an extraordinary amount of money. It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars you can picture, like this huge debt. And I had mercy on you. And you turn around and go after your, your, your fellow servant for five bucks? You refuse to have mercy for, to him? so we know what happens to that unforgiving, unforgiving debtor, right? So it's this idea of, 
of uh, mercy, to be merciful, because we desire mercy as well. All right, the next one is pure in heart. Being, uh, this is being single-minded in commitment to the kingdom and its righteousness. So it's, it's this picture of, of, of someone that is so focused that they're, that they're uh, not distracted by uh, impurities and deceit and evil around them. They're straight uh, moving towards righteousness. Um, a great picture of this is... Uh, Joseph and Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's wife, that interaction, that event that took place. Uh, Evie, don't, well, I'm not reading this one either. I'll just tell the story of, um, you know, um, Potiphar, or Joseph, Potiphar's wife, she's like, hey, come to bed with me. And, uh, and he rejects her. He refuses. And he says this. I'm just going to read this. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is, no, he is not greater in this house. No one is greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. And this is his mentality here. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he has this perspective of purity, Right? Purity in heart. How can I do this terrible thing before God? And that's the kind of mindset that we are to have as well. And the next one is poor, in, um, oh, that is, oh, peacemakers. The next one's peacemakers. We are to be peacemakers wherever we see division and strife. Not only when it comes to relationships here on earth, but also relationships when it comes between people and God. We are in need of reconciliation with God. Friends, those who deny Christ have enmity with God, and they are in need of reconciliation with him. And we're called here to be peacemakers. So not only does it extend to relationships that take place between others, and us and others, and but it's also to be peacemakers between others and God. So we went through this char- these characters of kingdom citizens, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Here's the wonderful thing. As we walk this way, as we repent, right? So we're walking this path, this worldly path, and those character traits call us to repent, to turn and walk this way in this type of character. And through that, there will be blessing. So let me go through these blessings. We're just going to hit these real quick, right? Those who mourn, or well, let's start with poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, when we have this need, when we understand that we have this need, right, and we turn to God, God, God will receive us into his kingdom. The next one, those who mourn, that they will be comforted, right? When we, when we mourn the loss because of sin, right, through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, there is comfort. Meek, they shall inherit the, the earth. Second one, or the other one, hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
right? They will be satisfied. There will be a time when justice will come. Merciful, they shall receive mercy. Pure in heart, they shall see God. They shall see God as he is. And then peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. These are the traits of those who are citizens in the kingdom of heaven. This is the heart. This is the kind of heart a follower of Jesus Christ should have. And even though we may live these values out well, and we experience these blessings in some fashion now, there's going to be some ramifications. The world, as we do these things, as we live this out, as we walk this path, the world is going to respond. They're going to respond with opposition. This brings us to uh, the second part. Number two, the response of others when living, kingdom, when living out kingdom values. Okay? The response of others when living out kingdom values. All right. So Jesus continues with two more descriptions of blessings, but these are a little different than the previous seven that we went through. All right. So let me read this to you. This is verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's think about this for a minute. These, when we walk these kingdom values, there is blessing involved. These blessings, I would suggest to you, are heavenly blessings. And we see this here in verse 12, when Jesus calls us to rejoice and be glad to celebrate. Why are we to be glad and celebrate? Because of these blessings that are stored away for us in heaven, your reward is great in heaven. So yes, there is this aspect where now on earth there will be times when we are comforted and times that we will be satisfied and there will be times when we receive mercy on earth. But, but all these character traits, these blessings will come later. When the kingdom of God comes, we enter into his presence. We walk through those pearly gates. That's when we will truly be satisfied and have mercy and be comforted. But right now, right now, we will experience persecution. So what Jesus is saying here is that those who live out these kingdom traits now and live out righteousness and the teachings of Jesus now will face opposition. And we shouldn't be surprised that, re that people respond in this way. We should not be surprised by it. And so um, there's um, examples of this taking place where, you know what? Jesus experienced it as well. As Jesus paved this way or paved this path for us, we see that he faced opposition. So John uh, chapter 15, verses 18 through 23, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, right? He chose them out of the world, which means this, that they are now citizens of the kingdom. So he pulled them out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So we shouldn't be surprised if we are persecuted for living out kingdom values. But it's more than that, right? Jesus tells us, just not to be surprised by it, but to rejoice and be glad when this happens. It's like when, when those things happen, boy, <laughs> that's not my first response. I get angry. I get defensive. I might cry. Like those are, no, no. He's telling us to rejoice and be glad. And I think that's the real surprise in this section. You see, in other words, if we receive persecution and hatred from others as we seek to live kingdom values, then we must be doing something right, right? If, there is, if there's opposition, be grateful because you know what? You, because you're, you're probably following the same path as Jesus. And so we should rejoice in that. And here's the thing. It's a picture or, or uh, we have examples that have came before us, Right? Because our passage says that your reward is a great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in the Old Testament, the prophets lived out the, the, the truth of God, right? They spoke the truth and they lived it out. And the people that heard, heard didn't like it either and persecuted him. Uh, there's a lot of passages that talk about that but we're going we're gonna to skip that for now, Evie. But I want to give you this quote. So I think this is really important. This is uh, by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who lived in Germany during World War II. A young man, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. This is what he says. And by the way, he, he was killed, murdered by the Nazis. He says, discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. That's, a, that's an important message from a man who lived it out. So here's the point. We are to see persecution and harsh treatment as a blessing when following the king into his kingdom. We are to see that as a blessing and take joy in it. Friends, that's a hard thing to do. That's difficult. Let me tie this back into this illustration about Christian. So after the burden falls off, he's traveling and he um, gains a, a friend uh, named Faithful. They're traveling together and they end up in this city called Vanity Fair. It's a fair. You guys go to the Berrien County Youth Fair? And you know how dangerous that place is, right? With like um, uh, everything that is fried, all the fried food that is there and the smells that come from it and, and the amount of money that you have to pay to eat this greasy, unhealthy food and ride these dangerous rides, rickety rides with the bolts shaking. And, and um, you know, I mean, this is, you, you go in there and the lights and the sound and you're like, ah, and, and, and you smell the, uh, the beef tips. Oh, the beef tips, right? 
So Christian and Faithful are walking through the Vanity Fair, and it's the same thing with the lights and the music and the rides and these, uh, these guys that are trying to sell their goods. But what they're selling is, is the ways and the values of the world, the joys and the pleasures of the world and of the flesh, right? And as they're walking through, they're saying, no thanks, right? Purity of heart. So they're walking through, they're, they're on this path, they're avoiding, and, and they're coming up and and uh, these merchants are trying to sell off their goods to them and then saying, no thanks, no thanks. After a while, they're like, wait a minute, these people are not normal. Uh, they're acting different, they're looking different. Actually, at one point, uh, a merchant comes and says, hey, what do you need? What do you want? And, uh, and they respond back, we want the truth. We want the truth. And it's like, ooh, don't have that one in stock. Backward. But they look different. And all of a sudden, what happens is the people go, uh, this is a threat. This is a threat. If more people start walking this way, we're not going to make any money, right? We're, we're not going to be important. Uh, this is a threat. And, and so they actually take them and arrest them. And, and as they're having conversations with them, they're starting to see that they think different, they act different, they look different and they're intimidated, and, um, and so they start hurting them and abusing them. And you know how they respond back? Let me see if I can find this now. But the pilgrims remained patient and did not return abuse for abuse. Instead, they offered a blessing while speaking good words for bad and showed kindness in the face of brutal treatment. So as the opposition come, as uh, the words of evil came upon them, and instead of defending themselves or re instead of returning fire, they pronounce blessing. I don't know, I think that's a picture of meekness that comes out of purity of heart. I think that's a picture of merciful. You see how these are building, right? These character traits are going to come out and it's going to teach us how to respond when we actually act these things out even, right? So that's number two, this idea that the response of others when living kingdom values, there's going to be a response, and it's not going to be good. Here's number three, that there is a kingdom living mission. There is a mission involved in this. There is a call to those who are walking this path, a reason why we are to walk this path. So let me read it for you. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. So first you are the salt of the earth, and now you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way. So that's the picture. That's the illustration. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So friends, we, are, we can shine our light before others only if we have Jesus in our hearts, only if we die to our, ourselves and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Why is that? Why is that? 
If you go back just one chapter, when Jesus enters Galilee and, and enters this, this location, Matthew uh, gives a prophecy back in Isaiah. And it's a prophecy saying, behold, there is going to be a light that comes in, a light that will shine in the darkness. And when Jesus entered Galilee, that prophecy was fulfilled. Who is the light? Well, John says it in this, well, in the book of John, in the gospel of John, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's kind of that kid song. Um, um, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right? Huh? Uh, I love the part, hide it under a basket. No, right? I'm going to let it shine. What's that light? And I guess it's this little light. It's not a little light, right? What is the light? It is Christ in you. That's the light. It's not you with, with all your wonderful character traits and no, no, no. We are poor in spirit. We are in need. We are lacking. But when we put our trust and our faith in Christ and what he has done for us, he lives in us. He resides in us. And he is the light. So as we walk this path, these, these character traits that, that reflect Christ, it will shine before others, right? As we, as we practice these character traits, they're going to come out in action. They're going to come out in our words. So these good works starts with the heart, starts with the light within us that's been given to us. It gets, it gets played out. It manifests itself through works, through actions where people will see and they will give glory to God. So there are actually two responses that will take place. When we live this out, there's going to be people that will revile and be opposed. But there will be others. God will use that light that is within you to grab the hearts of people and bring him to yourself. So let me finish with this story. So they, in Vanity Fair, Christian and Faithful, they get, they get thrown into this prison, and they're being mistreated. And remember, they, they respond back with meekness, it says actually in another part, they, with blessing. And it says in there that people, people got angry, but there were others that saw the difference, that saw the distinction, saw the light, and began to change. That, that there were those who turned and began to follow Christ as well. Let our light shine so that Christ can use us and work through us bring glory to him and bring others into the kingdom of heaven that they may too follow the king into his kingdom. Let me end just with one thing. So that's the call. Here's the thing. 
we are poor in spirit. In this world, this, this standard that Jesus is giving here, we are going to fall short. We have fallen short. We're falling short, and we will fall short. Fall short. What do we do? Here's the call. To remember the gospel that Jesus is giving. To remember the gospel that John the Baptist was giving beforehand, but Jesus is giving in our text. And later, we're going to see, he's going to tell the disciples to give this message as well. What's that message? To repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's this understanding. The kingdom is coming. So, so this direction that I'm going, and, and I wake up in the morning, and I start off going this direction. Oh, I'm going this direction. What's the call? Turn. Turn around. Turn the other way. Start walking down this path. Repent. When we fall, ow, that hurt, get back up, dust yourself off, and continue to follow the king into his kingdom. That's the call. That's number one. But number two is this, to remember that we have a representative. We have a God that has already done this for us. So yes, we're going to fall, but we do not rely on our own righteousness. We don't rely on our own efforts and our own works. What we rely on to reconcile us to God is what Christ has done for us on that cross. So that God does not see us by our righteousness. If he did, we'd be in big trouble, but he sees us by his righteousness. And so the call for us is to put our faith in him and what he has done for us. So yes, this is the standard and we are to work towards that. When we fall short, those are the reminders. Number one, that we know that we have a savior that has forgiven us. And number two, that we repent and we turn and we start walking that path again. That is the call for us to be kingdom citizens, right? Kingdom or citizens of the kingdom of heaven to follow the king into his kingdom. Friends, this is a lifelong path, like lifelong travel. But we're called to walk it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can gather, that we can, can we look at the Beatitudes, that we can look at the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, there's so much here. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to challenge us to reveal what it means to actually walk this out. Lord, that we become more like you, mature in the faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.